Good afternoon, everybody, and uh, welcome back to another episode of uh, the Cozy Podcast. Uh, as you guys have been following, uh, I recently announced that I was uh, activating this Cozy Podcast Challenge Stories of 2020. Uh, the The purpose of this is really just to hear some real life stories, uh, have some real conversations, obviously starting with my close connections and networks, uh, friends, childhood friends, university networks, you know, everybody who I can, uh, just to kind of get some real personalities in here, kind of what's going on in people's lives and how 2020 was for them. So today we have, uh, we have an, an honorable guest, uh, a fellow coworker, uh, who I've worked with in the past. Um, Orso, welcome to the podcast. Glad to have you here. Hi, Ryan. A complete pleasure to be here with you and uh, helping you out with uh, being being a guest. <laughs> so obviously, we're going to loosen up Orso here a little bit, even though him and I have been bantering back and forth prior to this podcast uh, to get the topics going to know what we're talking about. But uh, And we had a little bit of a giggle beforehand. But um so just start us off, uh, or so tell us uh, who you are, where you're from, uh, and what you do. Just give us a little bit of a background about you before we get into, you know, the story of 2020. Absolutely. Well, as you've presented me, my name's Orso, and you and I have uh, crossed paths uh, in a few countries on different continents. So I think we first first met in Toronto and then bumped into each other in France when we worked on a project, and then in Australia back in uh, 2017, 2018. I still remember when we had uh, that surf on Surfer's Paradise Beach um, with, with some really bad foamy, foamies, the foam boards we rented and uh we were just terrible surfers back then we were you're the one who cut yourself up well it doesn't make me a bad surfer uh, or the only bad surfer here i would i would disagree with you if i went surfing and didn't come back with a war wound and you went surfing and came back with a really bad war wound i would say that you are the worst surfer well, we can go to the Atlantic coast any day of the week you want. Uh, it's a good break from your Switzerland and my Paris. So, um, All right. Anyways, we digress. So where, where are you from, Orso? Tell us where you're from. Well, I'm a mix. I'm half Italian and I'm half Canadian, which uh, might explain the accent. But I was born and raised in uh, Torino, Italy. That's uh, Turin for all the English speakers in the audience and uh, the home of Juventus for all the uh, football or um, soccer fans out there. Best team in the world. So just going to put it out there. And um that's where I was, uh, like I said, born, born and raised uh, before embarking on a career in the world of uh, sports events. But outside of the office, I love to travel as well as walk aimlessly around uh, whichever town or city I happen to be in. Uh, Ryan can attest uh, to the fact that uh, I love to cook up a storm, uh, as he's seen on every single one of my Instagram <laughs> and Facebook posts over the past uh, few years. You like years. to bake bread and pizza, basically. Well, come on. There's also a lot more than that. Lately, I've been uh, no, experimenting lots of bread and with, pizza. <laughs> okay, but there's there's also the pasta and beans and other simple um, Italian good for the soul uh, recipes. So yeah, um, okay. So I mean, well, there, there, but you know, I I, I like to um, hone my my wordsmith skills from time to time on uh, 
on social media. And uh, granted, the, the one thing that annoys the hell out of me is uh, seeing one typo too many at times. But, you know, uh, I've, I'm not a writer by training, not planning on giving up the day job anytime soon. So, uh, But I think people enjoy your quips. So I don't think it's uh, obviously those puns. Uh, Orso's famously well known on his Instagram and his uh, things like that for his uh, puns with lyrics and uh, cool stuff like that, which I think is just I think that's just a witty way of you of you be showing off your personality, which is pretty cool. Well, I do like to say that uh, I finally found my tagline in life in uh, this uh, uh, whirlwind of, of a year that was 2020. like to tell people, or so, bad jokes, dad jokes, and puns. That's me. <laughs> well, fair enough. So then, so you're half, half Canadian, half Italian, but obviously born and raised in Italy, uh, as you mentioned. Um and then, and then obviously working in uh, events, uh, sport events, similar to me, uh, consulting, going to different places across the world. And that is pretty cool. I think a lot of people are going to be quite, quite intrigued by the fact that we've, uh, run into each other in such uh, remote places and in global locations. Uh, we've only seen each other, like seriously, like you said, maybe three times, uh, once in Toronto, once in France, and then once in Australia. And then I, everything since then has been via like Facebook or phone calls or video chats or stuff like that. That sounds about right. I mean, uh, though I, can, I can honestly say that in Australia, we definitely hung out on a regular basis. And then uh, even though we're neighbors in Europe now, uh, it, we, we've had to resort to, uh, to, uh, to every single uh video call under the and video technology under the sun to have a chat. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, let's get to the the nitty gritty of this. That's uh, then. Uh, so obviously the purpose of this is to talk about your 2020 story. You know, I, I think I, I wouldn't call you uh, a Joe, a Joe, Schmo, a Joe Schmo, because you definitely have a really cool career uh, and you're definitely doing something quite, uh, you know, a lot of the things you've done in the last few years. I know I find it even impressive, even compared to my resume. Uh, we've done some, you've done some amazing, cool things, but uh, tell me about your, tell me about your 2020 experience. How was it? How was it? You know, the goods, the bads, the ups and the downs. Uh, walk us through your year. How was it? Well, 2020 uh, was an exciting one. Uh, and I mean that in in both the good in good ways and bad ways alike. Um, I started the year off in uh, Riyadh, the kingdom of Saudi Arabia, where I worked as an operations manager at a um at a festival, or more more than anything, a carnival, as people who run uh, theme theme parks like uh, like to call them. So um, yeah, I wrapped up a project uh, over there, and then I uh, traveled around the Middle East for a couple of weeks. Uh, spent ten amazing days in Oman and a couple of days in Dubai, catching up with uh, friends before I went back to. London uh, in the UK, which used to be my uh, home base, my headquarters, as I like to uh, tell people. And um, I spent, uh, uh, well, being a freelancer, the, the, the first two weeks of being back, uh, going back to the job hunt. I mean, I had a few um, irons in the fire, as it were. But um, I was lucky to find myself going from one job interview to another every, every, every couple of days until um, a couple of offers uh, materialized. But 
but um, I'd say that the funniest thing in uh, in those first two months of the year was that everybody spoke about this uh, cold, this flu, this weird pneumonia-like disease going around. And, uh, well, you, you couldn't escape hearing about it. And I remember always uh, flicking through the BBC's website um, uh, back in at the start of uh, January, wondering, I wonder what this thing is. It doesn't sound like it's too bad of a disease or a or a condition. I mean, considering that I'd come down with a flu back at back in uh, November of uh, 2019, that threw me out of commission for a couple of days. It, uh, uh, it I, I didn't think I didn't think it was the end of the world, though. As uh, fate would have it, it certainly made us feel like we're living uh, the end of days in one weird way or another. But before, before, before you go on to that a little bit there, so um, just for the, because I don't know if many people know where Oman is. So that's obviously the first thing. Oman is uh, Middle East. You said Saudi, you started in um, Saudi Arabia, right? You were, you were there at the beginning of the year. That's correct. Now, yeah. I mean, if, if you have to imagine uh, Saudi, the Saudi Peninsula as being a circle, granted, it's more of, if you, if you had to choose another shape, it's more of a... Um, uh, of an egg on its side. But uh, if you go to uh, the southeast corner of the peninsula, there's a country called uh, Oman, which um, had, which captured my attention, um, caught my attention many, many years ago when I did some research for, um, uh, for a newsletter I used to put together at one of my old jobs. And um, when I first saw that uh, pictures of that country, I was, I fell in love with it uh, right away. And it had been a bit of a pipe dream to, uh, to visit this country. And everybody who went there spoke highly of it and uh, were always came back in love with it. And if they weren't in love with it, they, they gave it uh, two thumbs up. And I wanted to finally have the opportunity to, um, to go over there. So it's a, first off, it's, uh, it's one of those countries that, um, is almost shrouded in mystery. It's a very, uh, op open, open and welcoming country as well as an open-minded, um, place. Islam is the, um, is the religion there, but they, they practice a very, uh, tolerant, uh, variety of, um, Islam, which has traditionally made them a, um, uh, which has traditionally made them accepting of uh, of people from different cultures and uh, different way of doing different ways of doing things. So um, already, I was curious about uh, see about seeing another uh, Muslim country, considering that I'd worked in um, Qatar before and recently Saudi yeah. Arabia as well as visiting uh, the Emirates and uh, the kingdom of Bahrain. So what was, uh, so just, just to finish off that Oman topic, what was the, what would you say the, the top, top memory from Oman? Well, how, Cause obviously it's a great way to start off as a little bit of travel in the middle East. Uh, what was your, your favorite memory from that beginning of the year? I would say the, the friendliness with which I was welcomed by complete strangers. Uh, I'd say my, my highlight was being um, 
kicked out of a uh, out of a coffee shop in uh, in the middle of nowhere on the way down the coast to uh, to uh, to a city called Sur. Now, the reason I was kicked out of the coffee shop was uh, because the owner wanted to shut the shop earlier so he could go lobster fishing, and he invited me to go lobster fishing with him. Though, unfortunately, oh, cool. I had other plans, and if I'd had an extra couple of days uh, to tack on to my holiday, I probably would have happily spent an afternoon jumping out of a fishing boat, holding my breath, and uh, yeah. and catching my dinner with my hands. So then, and then bringing us forward, then that sounds an awesome way to start off 2020. So then you went back to the UK, um, after unemployment. So after doing a bit of travel, um, and then you ended up back in the UK for, for basically the start of the pandemic, you're saying. Correct. Uh, like I said, I, I'd had, I had a few irons in the fire when I, um, got off the plane and, uh, almost immediately I lined up a few, uh, job interviews and, um, about, Four weeks after I arrived, I, I received uh, two job offers. I'll admit that uh, one of them didn't uh, appeal to me much, though. Uh, though it's the kind of destination many people uh, would would like to go to, but uh, unfortunately, with the pandemic, that one did uh, didn't materialize and. The other uh, opportunity, which uh, I found more exciting, was uh, was it was a role in Paris, which um, I jumped at because I, I love France and uh, Paris is simply an amazing city with uh, with plenty to do, plenty to see. Perhaps I'm I'm, I'm still not over the the honeymoon phase. Of, uh, of of this city, despite the fact that I've uh, been here on and off uh, many times uh, during the say, past uh, few years. I was going to say, you've gone back to France twice or three times now. <laughs> uh, if, uh, for work, yes. But then there were many just uh, short, uh, short getaways. And I still know that to this day, you resent me for having blown you off in favor of uh, hanging out with a girlfriend uh, many years ago. So... Uh, I'm not bitter. I mean, it was it was a little disappointing, but uh, it, it, it was it, it was a blow off for a booty call. That's what it was for you. Don't 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 sugarcoat it. It was a blow off for a booty call. <laughs> Look, I can I can only dignify that uh, that point of view with a purely holy French expression. Oh la la. <laughs> So that, so then tell us then, so then obviously, uh, obviously you applied for that job, uh, for, um, uh, for a job in Paris, which is pretty cool. Um, but just before we get into like, obviously that to see how that worked out, um, how was the, cause like you, how, how long of the pandemic or how long were you in the UK, UK in 2020? Uh, because I'd love to hear some perspective on how the, you know, how the lockdown was in the UK. Cause I know a lot of uh, listeners uh, that are going to be for this. Most of them are going to be from Ontario and Canada, um, um, obviously some others as well, but I think uh, people are probably interested to hear how your experiences were in the UK for the lockdown. Well, I, I you know, I can't complain with, uh, with how it was, um, all things considered, because the rules were incredibly fuzzy all throughout um, the lockdown. Coffee, coffee shops were, uh, were open for business, obviously for takeaway coffee and, uh, and the likes. Um, Nobody uh, was encouraged to wear masks at the times. At the time, 
more than anything, uh, people wanted, uh, or at least the government expected people to stay indoors as much as possible and avoid uh, sp- spreading any um, any nasties if they were carrying uh, the, the virus. But um, all told, uh, I've got to say that it was um, that it that it was that it was pretty quiet on the streets, especially the first. Uh, three weeks, which is still end of winter. Granted, uh, winter in London is nowhere near as cold as uh, winter in Ontario, but it was still weird to um, uh, to walk about uh, empty streets and down the middle of the high street at times just for fun and just because I could. And um, I mean, I've got to say that I spent most of that lockdown uh baking bread because it seemed to be the trendy thing to do uh but i will say that i made um that bread baking became a thing of my life well before the uh the lockdown in london but it was still kind of strange to go into major supermarkets and see the whole baking aisle devoid of uh of flour the uh, people taking on some new hobbies then (laughs) Exactly. It wasn't, um, it, I mean, not just baking, but uh, sometimes the whole store, uh, especially a Tesco. Uh, so imagine uh, ima- imagine a grocery store like Loblaws being empty. And uh, the, you, you, can, you can imagine that the only things left are the things that are the items that people don't necessarily uh love to eat uh like cauliflower for example so um uh which incidentally is one of my favorite vegetables so for me uh it, walking into walking into tesco's and seeing uh items that other people didn't want to eat uh b- being there in abundance especially when it comes down to getting uh your five or seven a day depending on where you are in the world and what the health guidelines in the country say well I, I was I was in my element, but few people seem to realize that you could go to uh, smaller grocery stores, for example, those uh, owned and run by uh, by merchants or let's say shopkeepers of uh, Turkish origin. You could find all the flour and eggs you wanted in there because uh, nobody yeah. thought about uh, shopping over there, and you're and you incidentally got some uh, better deals on food along the way. So. Um, yeah, I remember. I remember that was back in what was that? In, in, it's got to be the beginning of April, I think it was. Uh, maybe even March, where cabinets were dr- basically. You walked into a grocery store. I remember this uh, in Switzerland. I walked into one of the grocery stores, and everyone was freaking out about toilet paper around the world. Everyone was freaking out about pasta across the world. And I was like, Nah, it's not going to be like that when I go in here. I walk in, and the entire shelves are bare. <laughs> completely bare like no toilet paper no pasta no like uh, the basic essentials people thought that they were going into a zombie apocalypse and they were stocking up and they were never leaving their apartment i thought that was hilarious so it was the same in the uk basically pretty much and i mean i i one thing that shocked me was that um uh people did not buy as much alcohol at the beginning of the pandemic as I thought they would, especially when they were on furlough. I remember that uh, the wine aisle in the supermarket was still full uh, or or effectively full. It was like business as usual. Uh, there was the same usual amount of beer and uh, pretty much the uh, the same amount of, uh, of hard spirits. So 
I, I couldn't understand why people wanted to uh, stock up as uh, much as they did. But if anything positive came out of the pandemic, uh, then most of Britain probably learned how to cook uh, and may have redeemed uh, their their repu their their national reputation. So that and then um, so then in, oh, by the uh, way. All yeah. the all, to to all of the uh, UK based uh, li- people that might have uh, tuned in uh, to uh, the conversation, I've never had a bad meal in England. This is me making fun of you. <laughs> Uh, I don't get the full reference, but that's okay. I'm sure they will. <laughs> um, so that, so then, Tommy. So you were in the. Uh, how long were you? Because you uh, you ended up taking that job in Paris. You said right, the second one. That's correct. Yeah, and then and how long were you in the UK prior to moving, and when did you move over to Paris? Well, I I got back uh, to um, the UK in mid February, and I moved over to Paris about three and a half months later in um, at the end of June. So um, I I ended up I, I effectively spent um, well is that three and a half? No, it's like four and a half months to be honest. So. Um, <laughs> There I go, trying to keep track of it. If I don't have an Excel spreadsheet, uh, it's a, I'll, I'll never make sense uh, of this kind of thing or a good old uh, desk calendar to flip through. But uh, I spent four and a half months uh, between returning from the um, from the Middle East to uh, leaving for uh, for Paris. But I, I, I like I said, I received uh, the the job offer about. Um, Four weeks after I got back, but that's when uh, when lockdown came into full swing, and my new employer was unable to confirm a start date uh, with me. So I uh, so I so I spent lockdown uh, waiting for the green light uh, to to move over, which came at uh, the end of May, and at that point I packed up uh, all of my belongings, put what I had to in storage and uh, moved over to, uh, to Paris. But uh, I can, I can say that for those three and a half months or three months of, of waiting for the, for, to get to come over here, I, 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 I've got to say that I was frustrated most of the time because I was uh, eager to get started on, on the new role, but I managed to keep busy by, um, by going out for some incredibly long walks because, uh, the, like I said, the UK government really didn't care um, uh, how long you were out for. There was no no way to track where people were going, how long they were out of the house for. Plus the fact that I shared uh, the uh, shared my house with a cute little poodle. Uh, that that dog gave me the uh, the perfect excuse to go for some uh, twenty kilometer hikes around southeast London. Twenty kilometer hikes. I mean, I I didn't. I mean, for me, I didn't. I didn't get too active during mine, but I'm sure a lot of people has different stories. But that's good to hear that you kept active. That was when you were in the UK. You're saying, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, uh, that that was uh, let's say me exploring every corner of Southeast London, which, uh, to, to be honest, before I, uh, moved over there, uh, was a part of the set, part of the city that I'd never, um, really taken the time to, uh, explore. Right. And then, and then, well, how about transitioning over to France? I know, I know, uh, we mentioned this before we started, uh, definitely one of the things you wanted to discuss would be, you know, the comparisons between, you know, the different lockdowns. Uh, I know that personally, 
as someone living in Switzerland, uh, there's a lot of colleagues that I have that uh, work in France, live in France, uh, and work in Switzerland, or just some colleagues that actually just live and work in France. Um, and as far as I understood, like the restrictions were quite quite strict. I know that I've given I've given some explanations to some people back in Canada, and they couldn't believe, um, you know, for example, like presenting. It was like you had to present a piece of paper uh, explaining why you can leave your apartment and things like that. So give us a bit of an idea of that transition from, you know, moving from the UK into to France, but then also the comparisons of the, how they, you know, how the lockdowns have varied, because uh, I think the UK was much more liberal with that and compared to the France. Well, that uh, I'll gladly go into uh, the comparison, into a comparison. I mean, granted, this is my take on it, not the not the supreme power of the universe given truth, but, uh, I, but, uh, my opinion is pretty much equivalent to that, but, uh, <laughs> but the, uh, but London, uh, or England as a whole was not particularly strict. Uh, they, they were against obvious social gatherings, uh, in people's houses. You had stories of, uh, neighbors reporting, neighbors reporting neighbors to the police and uh some people got fined but uh they were a bit it was more than anything a case of slapping people on the wrists uh back then and whilst france's first lockdown in the spring was uh borderline draconian from uh from what i could tell people were only allowed out in in set hours, uh, one hour in the morning, one hour in the afternoon. And each time they went out of the house, they had to fill out a sheet of paper that, um, that the French, uh, called, uh, une attestation dérogatoire de déplacement. Uh, I might be, I might've, uh, pronounced it, uh, incorrectly, but effectively you had to state your reason for, leaving the house as well as your name address uh city of birth and what time you left the house on what day and for what specific reason so um it uh it it was strange i spoke regularly with a uh with a friend in um uh in paris who took it took advantage of those two hours a day to uh do as much walking as she could because uh, she'd uh, come out of a uh, pretty intense uh, round of surgery. And while she was in hospital, she caught COVID. So um, yeah, that's and tough. Only, only recently regained her, uh, her sense of smell and uh, taste uh, completely. Right. Right. But at least people could get out. It's just the fact that it was, like you said, borderline draconian, like very, very strict when it comes to the regulations. And have you, and you've had to actually experience that? Like, have they reinitiated the same style of lockdowns in the last six months that you've actually been living there? Or Yeah. I mean, the, the first couple of months when I got back uh, or got, came back to Paris and moved over here uh, was, were, Felt like business as usual, though with more more places that were closed. I mean, you know how Europe is in the summer. People uh, people take their time off uh, work. They go on holiday. Business is shut. It's uh, pretty much a standard operating procedure over here. But uh, the funniest thing was that Paris felt incredibly empty uh, throughout um, throughout the summer. And um, as people came back from holidays. Uh, the number of cases started uh, soaring 
throughout um, the country, throughout Europe, uh, throughout the world. Because I, I don't know, maybe some people got comfortable, but the result was that either more people contracted uh, COVID or there was just far more testing going around, which allowed uh, governments to say, we have a problem here. We thought we had it under control, but uh, more extensive testing suggests we might have been wrong. But uh, I mean, the rest is history. Um, lockdowns are back in effect, but from what I can tell, this current this current lockdown, which has now become a curfew in uh, France between uh, eight p.m. and six a.m., ha- uh, has definitely been interesting. But it, to me, it feels more like. Um, uh, the the, lo- the first quote unquote lockdown in the UK, where um, I don't think the, the authorities had the had quite the appetite to um, be as strict and as harsh as the first time around, because otherwise the, the country's economy would be uh, would be crippled. Yeah, no, I'm, I think that makes sense. It was very similar in Switzerland as well. I mean, obviously a little bit less strict because we didn't have that big restrictions at the beginning, but you can tell, I think all the countries, I can't speak for Canada because I wasn't back there, um, but uh, obviously most countries, I think, let off the gas a little bit, but uh, not necessarily fully off the gas because they're worried obviously about spread and being the worst country that has the worst numbers. I think I think that's ultimately what everyone's doing right now. All these countries are basically just, they don't want to be, it's like duck, duck, goose, but for COVID, you know, like... <laughs> They they don't want to be the goose and be stuck like Brazil or United States or whoever it is. Although France, I think if I'm not mistaken, top five in cases, I think if you're if you research it right now, I'm not sure. I'm going to go on to Worldometers, uh, which has been my uh, point of uh, reference over the past uh, months. I know some people prefer to go with uh, John Hopkins, but the data is effectively the same. But uh, yeah, you're looking at two and a half million cases, just over and just over sixty-three thousand uh, fatalities. But uh, I mean, the numbers seem to be low-ish at the moment. So um, maybe uh, maybe we can breathe easy. But uh, really, it's uh, too soon to say. But let's take a look at where France is in relation to the rest of the world. Well, from here, what I see right now is we have number one is the U.S. So U.S. has obviously jumped to the top. They have a very large population, so naturally. Um, but then then you have India is in second. That makes sense. Uh, Brazil, Russia, and then France, like I said, top five is on the fifth. And then you have the U.K. immediately following up behind um, France right now. Um, then Turkey, then Italy. Spain and then Germany at 10th. So I think we'll stop there. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's just interesting because I, I I know that from as far as I know, um, US, Brazil haven't had like massively strict, as far as I understood, like strict um, regulations. But then France um, and Italy and Spain and Germany, they've had some pretty, uh, pretty strict lockdowns. Uh, keep in mind that... Uh... You're, you're not comparing similar countries the way they're uh, structured. France and Italy uh, are ultimately centrally managed with uh, some 
freedom of action given to various uh, departments or, uh, or regions. But remember, in the case of the states, each state is effectively responsible for how it manages um, uh, the outbreak and, and, and the course of action that needs to be applied. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, that's, that's really interesting to be in France. Cause I, like I was spoken, speaking with a few friends and, and France was quite interesting, but, uh, but yeah, I don't want to get too much into the political, the politics of, uh, COVID. I just thought that was quite interesting. And France is definitely in the top five, as I just mentioned, but, um, I'll never talk politics, uh, with anybody else, especially when a conversation is being, um, recorded, but I will talk about, uh, systems of government between countries. <laughs> I mean, you can, but then you don't want uh, you don't want one of these large politicians or these large things seeing you, hearing you, and the next thing you know, you got a gun out after you. <laughs> don't have to worry about my my retirement plan maturing then. <laughs> but um, okay, so to just bring to this a bit of a a close of twenty twenty. Then, how do you feel about the the year? Obviously, you're fin- You're still in a lockdown uh, over the holidays right now. Um, I know that you're, you mentioned your roommate is gone. So obviously you're at home. Uh, I'm alone in my apartment as well over the holidays in Switzerland. Um, how do you feel about ending the year in 2020? And then, you know, as I mentioned before, you know, I really kind of want to know, you know, what makes you excited about 2021? You know, do you have some goals, aspirations? Do you have a big event coming up? You know, what are you excited for? So how, how do you feel about 2020 and then going into 2021? Well, I can say that at the end of uh, this uh, weird year, though I'm home alone, I do not feel as though I'm uh, Macaulay Culkin's character in Home Alone. So um, haven't um, set up any booby traps for um, uh, for aspiring burglars. But, um, you know, all in all, uh, I've got to say it's my first uh, Christmas by myself, or this was my first Christmas by myself uh I've been been away from home over the years. Spent it in uh, in company, but this time this year has been the first time that I've uh, been uh, been alone by myself. It, it hasn't been bad, but it definitely makes me grateful for uh, the company I've had in the past. And um, you know, if, if anything. Uh, it's also made me grateful for the fact that I do have a housemate, even though the housemate is uh, is is visiting uh, visiting her mother back in Canada. So um, it's not too bad. But going into twenty twenty one, frankly, I'm excited at the prospect of uh, of the vaccine. If anything, it can give us a semblance of normal again. And um, even though I'm not say the most avid concert goer in the world I, i'd like to catch a live show at some point without uh having to worry about uh somebody coughing in the corner um i mean heck if i have to wear a mask for for that for that initial period i'm still happy to do it uh and e- even if people say these masks are starting to look ridiculous so i'll leave that opinion to them but uh you know Give give people the opportunity to um, to re-experience life as we kind of knew it um, twelve months ago. That would be uh, that would be the first part. But frankly, I mean, like you, uh, I, I can confidently say I'm looking forward to uh, seeing people at sports events 
Uh, I mean, they yeah. kind of make up, uh, it's not just, uh, let's say the people on the pitch uh, in the case of football or let's say athletes on the track that, uh, that make up a sports event, but it's, uh, it's the ambience, it's the audience. So, uh, it, there's fingers crossed on that side, but I think I, I also can't wait to, to do some travel next year. So, uh, yeah, fing, fingers crossed, uh, everybody can kind of get back to what they wanted to do. I mean, uh, my mom, uh, in her, ever since she retired has, uh, started, um, volunteering in, uh, in far East Asia. She was in Laos for six months and apparently she's got a volunteering opportunity to go back to once uh, people can travel again. And, uh, she's pretty much already insisted that I spend Christmas of 2021 in, uh, Vientiane, the uh, capital of uh, of Laos. That sounds cool. That that should be a good. Uh, at least that that's a pretty big event to look forward to um, coming into there because I think spending the holidays or going into that that would be cool. Um, but I definitely agree with you. Sports events. Uh, considering we work in sports events, it's quite interesting. That's definitely my appeal when people ask me, you know, what what why do you work in sport events or what gets you what gets you kind of excited to work those type events. And it's usually, as you said, it's, you know, it's the crowd, it's the spectators, it's the ambience, it's the atmosphere, you know, it's that, you know, that, uh, you know, I know you, you, I don't know if you were around in, at any of the stadiums, I'm sure you were when you were in the Euro. Um, but, um, uh, when we were in France together, but basically, you know, I remember hearing like the roaring crowds and things like that. And that was probably one of my favorite parts about working sports events is hearing that, but um, also as somebody who worked uh, one of the first events uh, with spectators during the pandemic, it, it, it didn't have the same vibe. It had, a, it was, you know, I think it was, a, I think we had about like, uh, I think it was something like one third or two thirds or something like that of the, of this, of the stadium and social distancing and protocols and things like that, uh, which was quite interesting. Um, but as far as I also don't know, I don't know if you, what, what you've heard, but I've also heard that, uh, they're trying to push forward in these events to maybe even not let people into concerts and events and things like that without the vaccine. So, uh, like, are, are you, well, I mean, I don't know if you want to talk too much about that. Cause I think the va- vaccine is probably a very political topic, but are you open to taking the vaccine? Is that something that you're looking forward to like to doing yourself or you, obviously you wouldn't be pri- one of the top priority people because you're not on top of the list, but, uh, by the end of 2021, is that something you'd be open to doing? Well, for, frankly, I think it's a case of, uh, why not simply because by that point, um, we'll have a better understanding of, um, how the vaccine, what the reactions are to the vaccine in the first instance. But frankly, uh, even though it's been brought through uh, at, a, at a faster pace, from what I can, from what I understand, all of the all of all of the necessary precautions and typical typical phases of uh, rolling out a vaccine have been uh, respected. Uh, so. It, it might take uh, it, it. It might shock some people uh, that, uh, and they don't feel comfortable taking it. But uh, frankly, uh, I'm happy to take one for the team in this case. I mean, it's hardly. I mean, I don't know. It's for me. It's hardly taking one for the team. It's you know. I think it's necessary. I think a lot of people. I don't think people realize that the way that vaccines work is that 
you know, I think it's like two thirds or something like that of the population have to be vaccinated in order for a vaccine to properly work uh, to protect those that actually have, you know, depleted immune systems or who are older and things like that. Um, but I think that's a huge topic, obviously, United, you know, in the US and Canada and things like that. There's some people that are against the vaccine. Uh, but I think that's going to be probably our biggest topic in 2021 is are you willing to get the vaccine? And the answer is a for the answer is a firm yes on this side. Um, yeah. I mean, like I said, uh, I, I feel I feel I'm doing my part. If if I take it, we all want to go back to us to a semblance of normal. If somebody is not willing to take it yet, wants to wants to go back to normal, then. They're they're welcome to uh, to live in front of Netflix for another year or two of their lives. But um, frankly, if they're if they're impatient, then they should get with the vaccination program. Yeah, and just to settle the record, at least my you know my opinion, um, and I've I've had this conversation with a few people is that uh, as you said, as far as we're understood, the 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 correct precautions and the correct gateways were followed with creating these vaccines, the ones that have been approved. I think there's something like 30 of them that are still in the in, in the um, still waiting basically to be approved properly so they can come out uh, and. And a lot, a lot of people just, I don't think people realize that the reasons why these things take usually four to five to six years long is because have you ever tried to apply for like your passport or things like that with the government? Like that shit takes how long? And you're like, why does this take so long? Because the government has other shit to do and is doing a whole bunch of stuff. So obviously when people are dying every single day in every country, obviously all of the red tape is going to be removed and all of the barriers that would normally prevent you from, you know, you know, that would, would up create an obstacle that was unnecessarily there would be removed. What's your opinion on that? Hmm. I, yes, bureaucracy might, uh, might play a part in it, but frankly, all of the peer reviews, uh, have taken place for the, for the production of these, uh, vaccines. I mean, I'm, I'm not, a, uh, uh, I'm not, let's say scientifically minded though. Um, Let's say I was lucky to grow up in a um, in a medical environment. Uh, I mean, medicine is not black magic for me. It's a set of yeah. processes. It's science. Uh, if 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 medication has been developed, it's been developed with health in mind. Um, yes, uh, the the only downside to let's say a, a, a speedier development might mean that we might discover there are some side effects but if uh for the time being can say that uh the majority of cases or the majority of um doses administered to people have not present uh, have not presented any side effects uh, or noticeable side effects in people in 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 drug trial participants I, I I think we need to respect um, respect the numbers, and yeah. I mean you can be blasé about it and and use uh, Winston Churchill's line of um, quote of there are lies, there are damn lies, and there are statistics. But um, I mean I was not a fan of of statistics at school at university, but um, you know necessary evil. But in this particular case, if people do not uh, 
suffer from side from noticeable side effects, what's preventing us from uh, taking this vaccine? I mean, uh, yeah. heck, it, it, I'm I'm pretty much already here with an alcohol swab in my arm and getting ready to um, rub it over my left bicep. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, I think, I think, I think it's, it's, it's given us some hope. I think uh, going into 21 to 2021, I think we, we have some hope. Uh, I think there's already two, if I'm not mistaken in Canada, they've already approved two uh, vaccines. Uh, 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 Pfizer's come out and then I think Moderna just approved theirs as well. So it looks like uh, there's some future for, for vaccines to be coming out soon. And I think a lot of, a lot more release, but uh, I think, I think it sounds pretty cool that you're, you're excited for to get back to normal. Obviously, we don't know what normal will look like in the new year, but uh, um, definitely, I'm excited for 2021 as well. So, um, first off, I just want yeah. What would you say your big uh, goal is for 2021, Ryan? I mean, it's it's been a lot about me, but I mean, let's talk about you. <laughs> no, I mean, this is really about you. So, I, thanks for telling your story. I mean, for me, 2021 is really about figuring out what's next. And I think that's, it's very similar to what you're mentioning. You know, I think you have your job kind of lined up for a good, you know, few years to come. So I think for you, whether you stay there or it's up to you, but uh, you know, that's a little bit of stability for me. Um, my employment situation is going to change in mid-year, which means that I'll likely end up somewhere else um, or in a different employer somewhere. So for me, it's just kind of finding the next uh, thing uh, whether that's podcasting or whether that's, you know, uh, working in another event or whatever. So that's what I'm looking forward to in 2021 is kind of similar to what you said is getting back to events, but more, more so kind of having an idea of what the future has to hold. Um, but yeah, the, I mean, the normalcy, as we said, is going to be a weird, interesting thing because, uh, I don't think normal is ever going to be normal again. You know, a lot of people say that, you know, they want to go back to normal. I don't think we're going back to normal. A lot of us have been locked in our apartments for, or uh, houses for extended period of times. So I don't think we're going back to normal, but, uh, but let, let me say, uh, thanks for sharing your story. I appreciate, I appreciate hearing, uh, you know, how your 2020 went. Uh, obviously I know you mentioned at the beginning, you're like, uh, you know, my story isn't that special. I didn't do, you know, mine was actually quite successful in comparison to, you know, a lot of people that have had struggles and things like that. But I still think that your story is just as valuable as uh, a lot of people's, you know, I think it's nice to hear kind of the interesting transition from a different country during a lockdown. Um, and then also just kind of, you know, being around and having a few things coming, going into the new year and some positives going into the new year. I think, uh, there's a lot of people that kind of could feed off of your story as well to look at that in a positive light. So I, I appreciate you coming on. Ryan, uh, it was a pleasure to, uh, speak with you and take part in uh, in your podcast but um just for anybody who might be interested uh yeah 2020 has been a st strange year no doubt about it for many people it's been a slog but uh uh as, as i've told people on social media linkedin facebook i'll i'll put it out here as well if anybody wants uh their resume or cv looked over i'm i'm happy to, to lend my eyes to it i mean assuming you know who Arso is that then obviously go forward with that but then uh but yeah uh are, are you starting a cv business is that what's going on yeah i it, it, it's a pro bono uh thing i mean many people have uh let's say looked over my cv free of charge uh, the least i can do is look over and uh make uh make some suggested edits to uh other people's uh resumes so um 
uh, I'm, I'm not guaranteeing uh, any silver bullets, but uh, I'll be able to clean up anything that uh, comes my way. Absolutely. Awesome. Well, thanks again. And uh, I appreciate having you on. And um, so that uh, everybody that thanks for tuning in. Uh, this is this has been a great, I think, great chat with somebody with some really cool experiences. Um, but uh, tune in next time. We'll have somebody new. Uh, and I appreciate you guys listening. Until next time, uh, have yourselves a great day.